Real talk. Wow, we got some dog in the beat there. That was a, a shocking. Oh, shit. I'll do it. I'll do it again. No, I thought it it, no, no, don't do it again. I thought it was great. I thought it was. It actually went on the beat. It was like shockingly symbiotic. <laughs> anyway, All right. film fans, people we know, and honestly, let's be honest, casual acquaintances, people we've talked to about this podcast. How you doing today? It's good. It's good. I'm glad you're you're listening. Welcome to episode four of Real Talk, a podcast with Mo. Mitch and also Mitch's dog Max. How you doing, Mitch and Max? Yeah, we're doing great. We are we are great. We're cruising. We're living life, man. How's everything with you? Everything's good. You know, my girlfriend got a job, so you know, not that's good. That's good for everyone around. She's not home right now, so we actually might have a quiet podcast. Uh, yeah, so everything's good here. Well, uh, half quiet. We got some noise. <laughs> on half my quiet. End. We got a dog still. Uh, and they're they're also just constantly building a, uh, a an apartment complex on the corner. So just between the dog and the jackhammers, it's just a dull roar. Yeah, and my my times. neighborhood is is helicopter central in LA. So yeah, we got we got background noise. That's life. Gotta uh, love it. That's very very fortuitous, I guess, for the uh, the emotional content of today's podcast. So true. There were a lot a lot of helicopters in the Florida project. So you'd you'd be if you if you were going to this movie not knowing there were helicopters, there are a lot of helicopters. You never get to see go in one, but they're in the background 24-7, which is kind of a metaphor for the whole film. But before we get into the Florida Project, Mitchell, I know you've actually been been a busy bee in New York there. So please t- tell us this film you've been working on and, you know, you got a campaign going for it. So I'd love for you to promote your, your work right now. Well, you know, it's all part of the hustle. It's part of the grind. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm directing a film called Silly Rabbit. Uh, we have talked about this on previous episodes of the podcast. Is, it's, this, uh, is this the one that's like uh, sponsored by Tricks? Is that? Uh, yes, 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 yes. That's the one. It is. Uh, it's. It's actually just sponsored by the guy who voices the rabbit. For oh, he's Tricks. just trying to. Try, he's trying to just have you make his Tinder profile for him. Is that? Yeah, it's a. It's honestly a weird fetish thing, <laughs> but like I'm. 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 I've come to terms with it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the money's good. So. <laughs> well, that's that's the art industry in general. Anyway, you gotta do what you gotta so do. So you're no you have an Indiegogo going, don't you? We do. We do have an Indiegogo. It's uh, you know if you just go to Indiegogo.com, you uh, you search Silly Rabbit. We have uh, a little bit of an intro video and a teaser trailer for the kind of stuff you'd expect to see for the rest of the film. Um, to our listener, singular, if you feel uh, so inclined to to support me and my dreams and. Uh, a bunch of really hardworking people who are trying to make some really cool and forward-thinking art. Um, you're already listening to this podcast, so you're pretty used to pitying me. So give me some money. Yeah, give Mitch so, some money. I I, I feel like it goes hand in hand. I don't support Mitch's dreams, so I didn't give him any money. So that's just my but personal no, you know, choice. But I I, pr- I prefer you support me in 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 a more hands-on way. That's right. Literal hands on your body. That's how you like oh, it. Yeah. Massage status. That, that, that is exactly how I like well, it. It's it's very very true. Well, what about you, man? What have you been working on? I know you've been seeing a lot of movies. I've been I, seeing a lot of movies, really, but like yeah, I've been seeing a lot of movies, reading a lot of screenplays for once in my life. Like trying to get on, back on that grind. I read a book of William Goldman screenplays. Man, is he a master? Like all the President's Men. I, I was telling you this script called The Great Waldo Pepper was a really good script. I mean, he's just a very talented writer. And I just finished the, the script for Magic, which I thought was masterful as well. So, yeah, no, I've just been reading, watching a lot of movies. I went to go see this. This Well, last night I didn't even put this on the agenda, but I went to go see a, a triple feature at the, the New Beverly, all about snake movies. 
And I know what you're oh, well, thinking. Oh, wow, that is, uh, for, for those of us on the podcast who aren't familiar, the New Beverly is the theater owned and operated by Quentin Tarantino. So just let that sink yes, in. That's the, There's a certain context to pre, anything that's shown there. The thing there. about it is you, I say that and everyone's like, oh, how is Snakes on a Plane? No, it was pre-Snakes on a Plane snake movies. Disaster snake movies. There were snakes on a wow. sub. There was just a guy who was obsessed with snakes. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Are those the titles of the films? No, the titles The titles were Fangs. The second title is just and then Death Dive. So wow, that was wow. fun. That I went, is, the only one that is some certified bullshit. And the right only there. one I'd recommend is Fangs. It was Ooh. terrible. Don't go see. All right, I've said that enough times now. And then I went to go see this crazy '50s high school movie called High School Confidential, which is literally just proto Twenty One Jump Street. Like it's this guy who just like comes into this high school, you know, a bad boy cursing to all the teachers you know but he just wants to get in good with the with the the drug dealer and then he's like oh yeah you know you go straight from pot to heroin so (laughs) that's a pretty natural progression natural progression and there's just like this one girl was like i need a stick give me one of those sticks like talking about a joint it's so great i'm I'm sorry what yeah it's like there's a stick stick like calling a joint a stick you know so this is this is a drug movie written by a person who's never actually seen drugs i think it's a drug movie written by people who either haven't seen drugs or making fun of people who haven't seen drugs like it's a little bit (laughs) tongue-in-cheek and you know there's some good there's a good this movie come out it came out in 1958 so it's it was that explains everything you don't need to say a single other word i get it I'm not. I don't think I'm pitching well because it does have some really cool pre-60s stuff. It has this great beat poem in it. It has this hilarious part where this one student pretends to be Christopher Columbus talking to Queen Isabella, like as this like you know bad boy modern thing, like Yo Queen Izzy, I need some dough to to get across the ocean, like all this. You know, it's it's pretty great. Um, and you know, it's it's also the, just like that's the height of like the propaganda era. Yes. That was you know besides Nancy Reagan's war on drugs in the 80s, like that was the point where it just everything was either uh, propaganda against being anti-establishment or propaganda against communism. There was no... Totally. And, you know, this film is kind of the wrestling of those two forces are seemingly happening in this film. Like, some parts of it feel very stodgy and old and, like, clearly not real, like the fact that they compare heroin and pot to being the same thing. But also (laughs) there's some really hilarious, like, musical numbers and fun fun sequences like it, it, it is a movie that's worth seeing but yeah so well, Mo, i don't know if i've asked you this have you ever seen reefer madness i've never seen reefer madness i've heard i've heard a lot about reefer madness if you want to see like an archetypical hilarious propaganda film it is glorious it is it is so glorious it essentially there is a point in the film i shit you not where they say and show you that marijuana usage causes you to eat your friends oh sure <laughs> Because, you know, you get pretty hungry and human beings <laughs> tend to look like fried chicken at that point. That's it's, amazing. Uh, it, it honestly, they really sell it. I love they it. Really All right. sell you know it well. I, I've always like I've always not a fan of watching movies that are so bad that people say they're good. But in this particular case, I will make an exception. That sounds pretty amazing. I mean, I don't know. I'm also excited to see the disaster artist to well, so take everything I say sure. with a grain of salt. Well, speaking of this kind of film, I, I do need to say before we move on, Mitchell, this is actually a very special week for us because you probably don't know this, but I believe it was one year ago last week. You and I had one of the seminal movie experiences of my life. I don't know about you, but we went just the two of us. Uh, we may or may not have been sober to go see the Rocky Horror Picture Show in person. 
which is a very different experience than watching it by yourself. And I just... Yes, for those of you who don't know who listen to the podcast, those of you who are a little more film forward than uh, theater forward, um, when you go see a live screening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, there's a full cast, Mm -hmm. and they perform, and there is a set script of things that you heckle and throw at the screen. When you walk in there, you buy like a starter kit for five bucks, and you get all of the props you'll need to throw at the screen during the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's truly a glorious and very unique experience and it's it's it just everyone should do it at least once in their life it's and, it's very exciting and the reason it was um, powerful for me is it, it harkens back to a time when movies were this more communal interactive thing like i i mean i like just like the next guy to go to a movie and be quiet and you know watch it in the theater with everyone but it, it is fun to like see this more flamboyant like group movie watching and that it, it becomes it's it's a blending of this old film which obviously is never going to change in this live performance which is going to be different every time although it follows the same beats so i don't know there's just something beautiful about it and it is campy and silly but like i'll say this my dad did it one time and he is you know one of the more straight laced guys and he loved it so I, I think most people, you, you would get something out of going to see this in person once. Do not watch it on Netflix or some shit because it's just a bad movie. But it's, it's the interaction that makes it great. Absolutely. It's, it is, like you said, it's a communal experience. And I think that's the perfect way to describe it. Um, I don't want to hurry us up, but I know we're trying for our listener to be a little briefer yes. in how this is. So I'm going to suggest we get into the Florida Project. Right, people who haven't seen the Florida Project... There's no way to talk about this film without spoiling it. So before we get into it, please just go see this movie. Like, I'm, I'm about to do the pitch, but this is a great film. I would love if people supported it with their dollars. I really would love it to get nominated for something, even though I highly doubt that it will, because it's frankly too honest about certain things. Uh, it doesn't Hollywood it up, which I completely respect. Oh, Willem Dafoe will get nominated, but I want the movie to get nominated. I really do. I want the script to win. And yeah, that's I want the that to get nominated for Best is... Original Screenplay because holy fuck is that a good screenplay. I mean, It really is. Look, this it's is really gonna something be, special. This is a tough movie. It's, it's a tough movie, but this is what I'll say about this movie. There are a lot of movies Hollywood does about poverty. There really are. This is a topic that is, is not undercovered, in my opinion. But like a movie like The Pursuit of Happiness, which I know was showered with Academy Awards and is a pretty good movie, does not hold a candle to the real tragedy in the florida project this is reality every day in america it's a group of people who dominate this country there are millions of people in a very similar situation to the protagonists of this film and they get no screen representation not really they get will smith you know the best looking fucking homeless guy in the history of america in the pursuit of happiness but you don't get the tatted up lady who truly is kind of a despicable person in certain ways like you just don't see this so i really want people to go see this movie more than like I mean, it's the best movie I've seen this year, and I saw Get Out this year, and that, that's a masterpiece. Mm. So I don't, I don't know. Would you add anything to my pitch, Mitchell? What I would have to add to that is, is simply that, um, you know, there's something, there's a very clear-cut difference between a film like, like The Florida Project and, like, Pursuit of Happiness. There's, there's a difference between a Hollywood movie mm-hmm. and, and, and truly a film. There's something, I, you know, I've talked about this with you ad nauseum but there is something about a film that gives you a slice of life where there are there are countless scenes that Mm -hmm. if they didn't exist in the film they really they really wouldn't affect 
your understanding of it, but it's it's just those true, beautiful, and completely self-contained moments that just hit you and make you it, it makes you understand something a lot deeper than if you're simply following a cookie cutter screenplay with traditional story structure. There's not you know there's there's not you much know, you, you know can do about though? that. You know what's funny about this movie is it kind of does have traditional story structure. In certain ways. I mean, in certain ways it doesn't. But it, if you really just think about the, the arc of the main character, like, it's a pretty classic arc. Like, she's trying to figure shit out and then things go well for her. And then in the end, there's just this horrible thing that she can't overcome. Like, it's kind of a... If, if you look at it from the adult's perspective, it's kind of this classic tragical arc. But I agree with you. The, the, the way that some of these scenes are executed and the subtlety and the specificity are just so good that, yeah, you, 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 this, this script would not have looked this way if it was done by a Hollywood film, that's for sure. It wouldn't have been as smart and quiet about it. It would have been a lot louder, a lot more talky. Like, some of the brilliant moments in this film are in those silences. So I, I think we should mm-hmm. transition and just get into the film right now. Mitchell, you ready? Absolutely. Let's do it. I'm so right, excited. So we're going to be dropping spoilers all over the place. So please, if you haven't seen this, just wait and, and come back to us. Uh, like we, we love you. We appreciate you. Uh, like agreeing to listen to this podcast but like there's if there was a film that you you just need to see for yourself yeah to just really understand it's it's right here it's right now go see the florida project totally i i'm gonna be honest i saw it twice yeah um and i saw it the first time and i loved it and then i saw lady bird and i was blown away and i said lady bird is by far best film of 2017 and then i went back to see the florida project again in preparation for the podcast and i was like nope Nope, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love you, Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig is amazing. She did an incredible job directing this piece, but fuck, man. Fuck. I mean, the Florida, the Florida Greta, Project I love Greta is. Gerwig, but, you know, I haven't seen Lady Bird, but as good of a, it's a, it's a first film. We're going to talk about Sean Baker's career later, but this is a guy who's been making shit for a while, making shit at the highest level, and this is him taking his game one step higher even, so... Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I definitely have things to say about that later. So, um, yeah. Well, you know, shall we? we shall, shall we get into the Florida Project? All right. I we usually start with the theme, and I, I said we were going to start with the characters here because the characters are so unbelievable. But I, after what we just talked about, I do think we need to talk about this this theme that permeates the entire movie. Which I don't know if you agree with this. We haven't discussed it, but for me, the theme of the film is dreams versus reality, and obviously focusing a lot more strongly on the reality part. I mean, this is a movie that's set. literally parallel or in the shadow of Walt Disney's kingdom. Like, this is, you know, they live near Seven Dwarves Lane. You know, this is a place that was meant to be fantasy, and it's been corrupted and corroded by reality. And just that idea infects every part of this film. I mean, you were talking about those quiet little moments. I mean, this this is a weird part that didn't hit me as hard while I was watching the movie, and I haven't watched it twice like you, Mitchell, so I don't know as much. But the, the part when she's just in the laundromat, just sitting sitting on top of the dryer in her, like, literal, like, underwear. Like, these these short shorts. Like, you can see tattoos cover more of her body than her clothing does, for sure. And it's just, like, this nakedness, this stripped away, this bareness that poverty leaves you, where you have no choice but to expose yourself because you're so close to everyone. Like, it's just everyone's going to know your business, and there's the, just the price of, of privacy. It's just, like... It almost makes privacy into a dream. This film, like I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling, but what do you, what did you think about the theme? Did that dreams? I mean, on a second watch, how did, how did you feel about that? Well, I, I think it's interesting that 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 you talk about, you know, this this idea of dream versus reality. But it's the thing is, this is not just here. 
This is you go mm-hmm. to anywhere like Hawaii, you go to Cancun, you go to any of these traditional vacation destinations, and the second you walk off the off the campus, you you see it. Mm-hmm. You you see the you see the poverty, you see the the true like we you come there to be in luxury and and to be in this specific thing and you're you're greeted with this this very gilded mm-hmm. um, is the word I would I would use Great to describe word. it's a very gilded area and a gilded experience because you know what's going on below the surface and I actually um, a couple years back I I went to Disney World uh, yeah maybe, you're a big maybe like listeners two years don't ago. know Mitchell you're a big Disney person. I'm a huge Disney fan. I love Disney. I, I I understand that Walt Disney is a horrible human being and hated every single one of my people um, and froze himself with the intention of outliving us. But jokes on him. Jews will never fucking die. <laughs> They've been trying literally since we started and it's never going to fucking happen. Um, anyway, back to the, back to the but, movie. But back to that. I, I went to Disney World. I took my mother there for her birthday. Um, this was this was right at the end of the time where Mitchell had money in his life. It was really great. I miss it, guys. If you honestly, if you can have money, do it. It's so great. It's so so. Well, if you can have money so and still great. like yourself, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're working on it. Money. We're getting there. I like myself now, but I don't have very much money. As the Florida anywho, Project says, if you can't look yourself in the mirror after what you did to get the money, it's not good. It's not good. True. People will judge you. Um, and so, so being in Disney World at twenty-one. With, with actually at 22, Jesus, um, you know, being in Disney World at that age where I didn't have any kids to worry about, there was nothing, there was no one that needed to be babysat. I got to know people, um, you know, I got to know people who, who worked at the parks. I got to know people who worked in the hotel. I got to know, I got to know people who uprooted their entire lives to be a janitor at Disney. And there's... There's a very interesting, you know, kind of tremor to that. And it's it's because the surrounding areas have such low income mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's such a low cost of living that you can you can survive with so much less there, which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah. And- but and it's and then you you take that one step further, you take that one step further outside and there's there's a very specific moment in the film that I want to bring up. It's the scene where the newlyweds, the Indian, or no, they're not. Oh Indian, yeah, that's amazing. The, the Brazilian newlyweds uh-huh. show up to the motel, and the wife is is like, "What is this? This is not the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, this is not." This is not we're not even on Disney property. And and and, you know, Mooney and and Scooty are there and they're watching and they're they're trying to be part of the situation. They're, honestly, they're trying to get money from them. But it's 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 incredible because, you know, she's there looking at this desolation. She's looking. She goes, this is a slum. It's a welfare slum motel. And you realize like she's just openly saying this, not only to people who live there, but to Willem Dafoe, the manager, the man whose life it is, is to take care of these people. And it's just it's 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 that one crystallizing moment when somebody from outside of this ecosystem comes in and you see how the rest of the world views this this self-contained community. Yeah, so I'm really glad you brought up that scene because that I agree that is one of the most powerful scenes in the movie where this this outsider comes in and she she like this this world where you know for Scooty and Mooney this is their dream world in a lot of ways like I said you know the way that 
Mooney introduces it when they take their new new kid on the block, new friend Jancy, the little redheaded girl around. She's like, yeah, this is the guy who got arrested, and this is the guy who's drunk all the time, and this is the place where we're not allowed to go, but let's go in it. But then there's another scene where, with the child molester, which I think we need to get deeper into, because that is, to me, what elevates this film from good to great. Because... Well, that that scene is very interesting. I want to pause you real quick to mention something that you said, but I do want yeah, to get into no, that that's scene. About um, there's there's something. While while I do love this, the, while I do love the scene we're about to discuss, and I also think it is Willem Dafoe's best scene in the film. Um, there's there's something there's something about the fact that we have this this child protagonist is that we can view this world in through her eyes because it's all they know. It's not. And, and the difference, I think, the real difference between the child molester scene and the newlywed scene is that the newlyweds are, 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 are looking down on this and they're kind of aghast that this even exists, whereas the child molester intentionally inserts Absol- himself in this community with the intent to manipulate. Absolutely. That's the entire point I was about to make. You're, you're 100% right. There's, there's two – these. so we look at these two different kinds of people. There are these two – ostensibly good like normal you know we would look at them as you know they seem like a perfectly nice couple like it's not the woman's best moment but we all could agree that if our honeymoon agreed was there we wouldn't be happy either like she and and we see this other guy who is a horrible human being who sees this as an opportunity for predatory behavior and he also cuts through the reality of this world because because you know in a kid's eyes you know I mean, Mooney, I think, mentions that she had to go to the hospital because she drank, like, some shitty water once or something, and they do light, you know, the house on fire. But as a kid, you think you're invincible. And you think your reality, like, you know, like you said, Mitch, they don't know any better. But there is, that scene made the difference between poverty and, you know, and and people of wealth very clear to me. Because it's not just about access to technology, access to toys, whatever. It's about safety. And... If this random couple can show up and, you know, they're not going to be harmed to anyone, but they're, they're, they don't belong. They're this random guy who's, you know, looking to pick up a child and, you know, molest them or do whatever. I mean, they don't, it's pretty clear, you know, it's, it, it just makes, it just, it raises the stakes for the rest of the film. It's like when, when Mooney's at the very end running off to, towards the highway, you're like, oh shit, she could get hit by a car. Like it, it just makes you realize that for poor kids, especially if they have working parents, like nobody is watching them. They're just off on their own, and it's just mm-hmm. this. It makes the world so much more real and more dangerous. Like I don't think that scene with the child molester would happen in a Hollywood film. Like it's just too real. Like it, what? If, what if Willem Dafoe hadn't been painting? What if he'd been fucking fixing the ice machine? Right? Like that. That just lingers in my head the whole film. And what I want to talk about with that is this is you know I want to take a slight deviation. I want to talk about writing and mm-hmm. acting in this exact moment because that is one of the most well-acted scenes I've ever seen and I'm going to be honest the child molester does a really oh, good job too but the thing about it and this is something you and I have talked about this is something that I've studied as as an actor and as a director but it, it's the idea that not only every scene has conflict but there's there's an idea of having a conversation that is completely different from the context yeah, of the, the scene. Soda. And the that's soda. what's so beautiful is like that scene could have been that scene could have been 30 seconds. Willem Dafoe sees the child molester. He goes, he punches him in the jaw and it's yeah. done. But instead, Willem Dafoe takes this incredible track. And that's the thing. I have to give credit to everyone. You got to give credit to Sean Baker. You got to give credit to Sean Baker's writing partner, Chris something whose name is escaping me. I'm so sorry. 
um, the cinematographer, the editor, that, that is an entire group of people working towards one singular moment. And it's, it is that moment when the child molester takes the sip of his drink finally, after like two and a half minutes of sitting there and watches and being like, this dude's a child molester, Willem Dafoe, do something about it. He slaps it, puts the guy in a headlock, gets his name, gets yeah, his I, address. Yeah, I love when he rips the wallet out of his, like, that moment is so shocking because it's just been, it's the simmer, simmer, simmer. It's building, 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 and he slaps the soda and grabs it. And also, I, I like that the old man, at the very end, he he reveals himself to be stronger than he was implying. Like, he's limping, limping, and then once Willem Dafoe, like, goes at him, he, like, runs away, full out. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, I, I'm not saying, you know, I, I don't know how to put myself in this situation, but if I was a child molester and someone was about to kill me, I'd, I'd probably yeah, run too. I know, I'm me be too. Honest. But I'd, it was, it I'd, just... Regardless of my physical disability, raised, I would well, move as fast as that disability would allow me. But it also raised the stakes. It's like, oh, this old man could have, you know, killed one of these children or forcibly taken them or whatever. He's not just an old man, you know? Yeah, yeah, that is a good point, and that's honestly something I didn't think about until just now. Oh, I was thinking about um, it for honestly, the rest of I could, the film. I, could... I was like, oh shit, is that child molester going to come back? I was terrified. Like, I this film... I'm going to be honest, I could, I could spend, I could spend, like, fucking an extra hour just talking about that yes. scene, but I think for the sake of the podcast, we do need to move right, on. I agree, but that scene is, that is um, completely masterful, so... All right, other other stuff we need to talk about. Let's just dig into the script right now. And I, I did really want to talk about these characters. So, absolutely. I mean, we we have pretty much segued past theme. Honestly, I I think the theme is the least important part of this film. True. It's about sitting with these characters, and it's about watching characters survive. And there's something that that um you know I I hate to steal from a much better podcast than this, but uh, I did listen to Willem Dafoe when he was on WTF with Mark Marin and they talked about this idea of this of the third world existing within America. Mm. And it being these low rent motels and these kind of self-sustained communities where there is no interaction with the outside world and, and everyone has to find their own unique way of, of making do. And whether that's, you know, uh, you know, scoring free waffles from the diner where your friend works at or or begging for money to buy an ice cream or 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 even just, you know, playing playing whatever game playing comes spit to on the you. Hood of a you car. Going ex- I mean, Playing spit on the hood of the car. Let's talk about the fact that that's the first beat nah, of this wrong. film. No, you're wrong. You're wrong, Mitchell. It's not the first beat. The first beat is kids sprinting down the street, yelling at each other, and then it's like, what? And that's the that's. But yeah, it leads to that though. I would say it's all part of the same like major. I mean, no, see, this is this is all right. See, this is all right. I'm glad we're digging into this because to me, it's an integral differentiation we're making. Because if that was the first thing, if you just it's cut to spit dribbling down to the hood of a car, and that's the first thing you see with these kids. I don't think the audience would have been on their side that much. I think because it's this, they're just sitting there, they're just kind of minding their business, and it's the, the yelling over and over, and it's this cute, like, introduction to these kids, and instantly you're on their side. And then they go do this fifth thing, and you're like, oh, they're kids. But I do think if... It does intro to that beat, because the thing is the reason why Dickie, the reason why Dickie is running to them and yelling at them is because there's a new tenant at Yes, Future but we Land. don't know that yet. We don't know that we we don't know that they're gonna go spit on the car yet, though. Oh, of course. You know, it's it's def- it's it, it's a continuation of a beat. Okay, I'll but that's give the first that. major it's, character beat. It's, sure, it's, it's taking it. Yes, it's taking something that is expected and turning it on its head, and then forcing us to deal with that in a very interesting way. I also um, think, that, and then it gives us the the extremely important character beat when 
which gets us on the side of Haley uh, Mooney's mom when the other mom tracks her down and we expect Haley just based on her attitude at first to just kind of tell her to fuck off but she doesn't she says kids go grab your paper towels and she actually has a good moment as a mom to making them go deal with their mess absolutely and she does have to an extent a parental code I guess you know it's it's she, looser I, than I think most. What it is will is she, she I can't defend herself it. A good mom, but she's able to compartmentalize these two parts of herself and justify. Oh, them. absolutely, and you you see that very clearly when she's standing outside with the grandmother watching them clean up the car, and the grandmother's like, "This, you, you're having too much fun. You can't be having fun." You're like, "Listen, the car is getting yeah. clean." You have these two ideologies coming at each other, and the thing is, I don't disagree with Haley. There's a lot of the time where she she lets and then, the kids be kids, and I think that's really. And then nice. she also says to the other mom, like, "Yo, you need to loosen up and just get a hit of this J." And then the other mom's like, "Damn, you're right, girl. I just need to get laid." <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines. And yeah, that, that's it's just it's, so real. Oh yeah, it, where she's like, "I just need to lighten up, light up." And yes, and then, and then she just laughs, and she's like, I, "I got you, girl. Me too." And then it's like these two characters who are antagonists are just friends, and it's just like that. That's real life. Like you start off with someone, you don't start off on the right foot, and then you have one conversation, and you take a step back, and you're like, "Oh shit, I was being an asshole too." Like it's all good. Mm-hmm. Like it's that's just such a real moment that doesn't happen that often in movies. It's like when you have these characters in conflict, it's, it usually escalates further than that. But in this particular moment, it's just like, "Oh yeah, no, it's all good. We're friends now." And then and then that relationship becomes very important to her. And. It does, it does. Yeah, so I, I did want to talk about, now that we're on the topic of Haley, uh, just how, how specifically she's written and how th- this this relationship between, like, two non-actors, Haley and Ashley, who's Ashley's played by this lady, Mella Murder, who really is not a trained actress and doesn't have very many credits, and to me is one of the best performances in this film as the other mom, uh, and how it's basically essentially just a film about two good friends not becoming friends anymore like this plot is as simple as that Mm. and and it's how how that in in this third world in america as you put it in this you know poverty stricken community where we really get to see how they all all these women rely on each other for support for food for help just for someone to talk to and we we can get into when we get into characters later the lady who runs the laundry laundry room who's one of my favorite characters uh and just how this relationship is so important to both of them and the the danger to the kids kind of breaks them apart. And it's it, and the great thing about this film is if it was just about the two of them, we wouldn't care that much, but it's because it affects the kids. It's because we, we are in the position of the collateral damage that this movie basically about two friends breaking apart. And honestly, the one we're watching is in the wrong. She does become a prostitute. She does take it to that next level and beat the other woman's face in for these emotional, irrational reasons. And she kind of does deserve to have Mooney taken away from her in a lot of ways. So it, it, it is a very... and. It, I just love that we're, like you said earlier, we're in the position of these kids witnessing this fracturing of this relationship that they don't understand. Like, it's almost like they're siblings being split apart. Well, there's the thing about the, and this is the thing about the Florida Project that really just gets to me, is that it uses two of my absolute favorite techniques, which is number one, looking at things through a kid's Mm -hmm. eyes. We get to, we get to, we get to witness the death of innocence. We get to witness the moment where Mooney puts two and two together and realizes that these, these child protective services officers are going to take her away and going to pull apart her family and pull apart her life and the ecosystem that she exists in. To, to add on to that, Mitchell, the, the, the scene, that's powerful, but the one that hits me even harder than that is earlier in the film when she's Mooney's alone in the bathroom, sitting in the bathtub, listening to music, and one of the guys busts in 
and is like, oh shit, there's oh, a kid in here. Fuck, and she doesn't, she barely reacts to it, but just that look on her face. Like, it's this thing she doesn't understand and she doesn't want to understand. And it, you know, it, it just fucks her up. And you just don't, and she doesn't even know how it fucks her up. Like, the other time, it's her understanding. Here's the thing, and maybe, maybe you noticed this, maybe you didn't. I couldn't stop noticing it because I watched it a second time. But um, the very first time you see Mooney in the bathtub, Haley yes. is with her. And she's, you know, washing her hair and doing the traditional mom things. You then see her in the bathtub five more times. It's the exact same framing. It's the exact same sound style. It's the exact same radio station playing. And she's alone. And seeing it for the second time, it it finally hit me that every time I see that framing and Haley's not there, it means she is literally prostituting herself on the other side of that door. And it's the craziest thing because seeing it the second time, it was nauseating. And and it's also that that echoing, we're going to talk about the sound of that later, but that echoing of the walls and the like, you you could just imagine she could hear some stuff and even if they don't show it. Yeah, it's it's, it's no situation for a child to be in. It's no situation for anyone to be in. And and the thing is, is this is a really good thing that I want to talk about Haley's character for a second because you could very quickly write this film off and say that everyone is doing what they've got to do to survive. Uh -uh. And in a sense, Haley is. There's a scene that I understand that people will look down on the choices she makes and the things that she does but there's a scene very early in the film where she's explaining to an unemployment officer that she lost her job she was a stripper i'm not saying that's a great job to have but it pays it pays well look at cardi b she managed to build an empire off that um yeah but then she gets it's, coerced. It's She's trying to coerce her into sleeping with the guys, and then they fire her, right? Absolutely. So that's the thing. She gets fired. She she loses her job. She loses her employment. And she does say that she has applications in at every possible available place. And the unemployment officer is, is telling her that she's got to work harder. And she's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Why am I even here? I didn't come here to get lectured about the fact that I need a job. I know I need a job. I know I need to provide for my family. I know what I need to take care of. And, and, you know, she's just like, just give me some fucking bus passes. I don't know why I'm wasting my time yeah. here. No, um, I agree. But th- and, and she says very clearly, she says, I know the parks are never going to hire me, which is absolutely true. It probably is true. true. But the thing that undercuts everything Haley says is the existence of the Ashley character because she has tattoos. She's in a terrible situation. She's got a kid the same age as Mooney and she's fucking hustling her ass as a waitress. And it's not like, like, I think if Haley physically, you know, I, I do think... Well, 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 yeah. hold up, hold up. Here's the thing. This is the thing that you, you, I don't think you're thinking about. H- Ashley works during the day, and Haley technically watches Scooby. Okay, for technically. Her. Haley works nights or used to work nights at the strip club. This was a this this was a co dependent relationship where Ashley would take Ashley would take Mooney at night. There's 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 two halves of the day going on here because these women need to work and need to provide for their families and you need someone looking after totally, these kids. Totally, but dude, don't you think she um, could have gotten a job at night? Like a waitress thing. Well, she's trying to. That's the thing. She says it herself. She has applications in everywhere I mean, along I, the strip. I, I personally give don't her buy credit. that. I don't think she has applications in everywhere. We we see her a lot in this film, and she's not going and applying for jobs. I'm not saying she's applying for jobs, but I'm saying, like, that's the thing is I don't think there's anywhere else left for her to apply. And be honest, as an employer, I wouldn't want to no, hire her no, either. Neither would I. She's crass. She has no social skills. Yeah, and it's honestly, she just, like, you know, there comes to a point where you have so much body modification that you, you are not an appealing 
person to be the face of your company. That's true. I So just before we wrap up with the script, because we are starting to run on, sorry, loyal listener, I, I want to talk about two, two scenes or two, two ideas in the film. So obviously the one is the ice cream, which, Mish, I, know you, I don't know if listeners know this, you are allergic to ice cream or to all milk products, but I just think this idea of the way in which they share the ice cream and the passing it back and forth and the licking and you even get the great scene where like Jancy's with them and she like observes it and is like kind of a little grossed out but eventually she she gets 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 in line also and the the fact that they have to beg (laughs) beg for it and like eventually you know it's just like this idea that rich kids just get their ice cream and these underprivileged kids have to like beg and coerce their way into getting the ice cream and then it's it's this communal like I guess the word I'm looking for is there's a lack of modesty. There's just this this very like childlike, you know, enthusiasm. It's, it's fucking ice cream. We're people like it. You, you would assume that they're brother and sister based on the way that they share with each other. Scooty and and Mooney. Do you want to comment on their relationship, Mitchell? I do, I do. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing that that like really nails that home for me is it's. I don't consider it a lack of modesty, as simply a lack of awareness. Mm. The way and this is what I'm going to talk about when we get to the technical aspect. This is their entire world. It's not like they're they're going through hard mm-hmm. times. There's never been easy times. They've always been in this. They know nothing else than this life. And so to them, there's nothing odd about it. This is just what we do because they, they, they're saying it when they're giving Jancy the tour. They say, this is the place where we get free <laughs> ice cream. They don't say how. And she was like, how? And that's, yeah, no, they don't. They don't say how until they go to do it. And they let her just walk up to a woman. And my favorite thing is they, the, the, the line of bullshit they give this other woman. They say, we have asthma and our doctor says we need to eat <laughs> ice cream. Can we have some money? We only have five cents. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. And so that's the thing is it, it's not that they... I don't think that it's a lack of modesty in sharing. I just think the idea of having more than one ice cream cone is completely non-existent to them. They would share everything because that's how they know how to live. It's how they know how to exist. They know that this is just, it's a treat and they don't view it as anything less. Um, And that also reminds me of one of my favorite scenes is Jancy's birthday when they hitchhike down the strip to go to this empty field where they can watch the mm-hmm. fireworks from that are being shot off in Disney World. And they sit there with a little cupcake and a little candle and the fireworks start and they say, Jancy, this is for you. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's it. The, they don't talk for the rest of the scene. They just sit there and they watch the fireworks and they comment on how beautiful they are. There's no, there's never a question with these characters of like, oh, could we have more in our lives? Which again is the benefit of using the children as the protagonist because it simply is. We simply exist and you know what else here. Is smart, like they, they in one um, crucial scene, they show that. the way adults perceive the children is just wrong like I feel like the adults or at least some of them the more responsible ones assume that like the kids want a better life and want things to be better and there's that amazing scene where that one kid's dad I I forget the kid's name but he like just Dickie his name is Dickie dad is just like giving away all his old toys and the car is just fucking packed out and he's like I promise when I come back all new it's all gonna be new like and he just leaves and we never see whether he comes back and I mean whether he does or not it's this it's this idea that like like you were saying, these kids don't know anymore, and adults, you know, they're trying to make the life better for for the kids, and they make them these promises, and 
whether or not they come to reality, these kids are just left waiting at home. Like, I, I, I agree with you that I, I feel like there's something beautiful about the way these kids are just happy and contented in their natural circumstances, no matter what they are. And then by the end of this film, we watch it get stripped out of them by reality, by them, you know, coming to terms with their life. Yeah. And that's that's why I can't ever fully write off Haley's character because even after she beats Ashley's uh, face in. Not at all, because the thing is, she while I won't say that she doesn't have a single other choice available to her, <laughs> there uh, there is a, a real choice that she has to make between am I going to prostitute myself or am I going to lose this hotel am i going to lose the place where i live and my life and if that if the choice is between having to prostitute yourself and not being able to care for your child i don't know if i could well, make the fuck to, i don't know if i could make well, a different choice see, that's, that's the thing that's not the choice that's the that's how she, what she turns the choice into but there's a third choice the third choice is like you said to leave to leave and go somewhere else and try to and go where she has no money she has she, no car if she really needed to get a hundred bucks together she could sell enough of her shit like she, I'm not, there's there's she could borrow it from the lawn what does a hundred bucks get her to a new city to what a hundred bucks like i'm what i'm saying is to I, what that's the thing is she then has to find another ecosystem totally. like this like you have a six-year-old child you can't put your six-year-old but dude but dude, Haley. This, could sleep on the street and fuck, you know, fuck random guys for a couple of nights to figure out where she's going to land. You're... Like, you can't have a six-year-old living out on the street. Of, of course you can't, dude. But what her choice that she makes ends up with her losing her daughter anyway. I'm not. I'm so not she saying. She, uh, right look, choice. first off, I'm. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say this up front. She's a horrible prostitute. She is so bad at being she's a horrible a prostitute. prostitute. She's also a, a but... shitty friend. She. She told. She, she takes is. advantage of her friend. That's the real issue here. It's this. This she she. That's the real. How does she take advantage of her friend? Well, she all right. She abuses her friend's trust. Let's put it that way. How? By putting her How? her son in a terrible situation without telling her. Like this woman. That's the thing. You have no proof of that. That's the thing. You have. There's never any knowledge that she was prostituting herself before she and Scooty stopped hanging before Scooty and Mooney stopped hanging out. The reason they stopped hanging out was because of the fire yes, in the because, abandoned development because projects. Because Haley's a shitty mom condos. and she saw it was rubbing off on her own kid. Like that, that was the reason they stopped hanging out. I, you know, obvi- obvi- well, well, here's the thing is it's that Scooty is also a piece of shit. Like, I'm uh, the thing is, Scooty is, is not so perfect. Is Mooney. Scooty, they're both, they're... Scooty's not learning bad things from Mooney. Mooney is not a bad influence on anyone. In fact, I think she's what do you mean? Mooney's she's, definitely she's a bad influence on Scooty. There. They're, they're mutual bad influences on each other. It's Scooty's lighter. He's the one who decided to take that lighter. The second you see a lighter, you know you're going to use it to set some shit on fire. Like, I mean, I, I think you, it's. Are I think you going to expect a six-year-old to understand that an, ava- an abandoned complex is not going to be fully I think ventilated? Haley's attitude, her "go fuck yourself" like chip on her shoulder attitude, is what makes Mooney that way. Like, where else would Scooty learn that behavior? I don't know. From no, his, his own, own mother. mother's not I, like that. That's the thing. Is what 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 I'm saying is 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 that Scooty's also kind of a shitty kid. I I think out of out of the kids, I think he has the least characterization. We don't really know much about him. I think Mooney's written with a lot of specificity, and I don't feel like we know that much about Scooty. I, I can agree with that. I like can outside of that. his relationship with Mooney, we don't really know who he is. Like, and we, you know, we only meet the, his dad like one time, and he seems like a nice enough guy. Like, it's just it does seem like he's in a little bit more of a stable situation than Mooney. 
yeah, he has two parents. He has, you know, his his mother's lucky enough to have mm-hmm. a job and being able to keep that job. Um, you know, so that's the thing. Is I do feel like I'm defending Haley too no, much. No, this is what I'm saying. I'm not saying because that's an easy it, it's choice. because I feel you're, so bad right, for Michelle. her. I do. I feel horrible end. for her. She's in a terrible situation. She. This, what I love about her character is she made these decisions a long time ago. The decision to have a kid, obviously, or if, whether it was a decision or not, it happened. The decision to get all these tattoos, and she's kind of like paying for it now. It's the, those tattoos are mm-hmm. keeping her from getting a job. Her attitude is keeping her from getting a job, and she still has this kid. And, she, and there is the reason I feel bad for her, and the reason is she does care about her kid. She she might do things that I would say cross the line, and you would say cross the line, but it's still her kid. And I th- that moment when she gets her kid taken away from her, it's like yeah, she's endangering the kid, but also could could someone else do it better? Are these people who don't know her really gonna have a positive impact on her? Like I I don't know, and I well, and here's. Yeah. Here's what's so interesting to me about this is because we know literally not a single detail about Haley's backstory. We mm-hmm. don't know who Mooney's father is. We don't know who Haley's parents are. We don't know anything I about love that. this. So there's that question. It's a real chicken or the egg question. It is, did did Haley's attitude and her way of viewing the world cause her to be in this situation? Or did, you know, m- maybe she was raised in a motel. Yeah, we, we don't even know. Is it possible that her environment caused her to have this attitude and caused her to have so much hatred and disgust for the world? And is that going to happen to Mooney? Because right now, the only time we see Mooney upset is at the end of the film. At every other moment of the film, she's the happiest person on screen all the time. She doesn't give a fuck about anything because she's six. She's just happy to be alive. Totally. And be running around and getting in the mud and doing fun things with her friends. And telling adults to go fuck off. You know, they, <laughs> absolutely. And so the real question is, it's you know, it's it's it really makes you wonder because we know so little about the backstory. What's going to happen after this? You know, are we going to be in the exact same situation where Mooney is going to have a kid at 16, 17, 18 and have to be in this you wanna, situation? You want to say you know? no? Like, kids you want to say up. no, but you feel like yes, right? But let's talk about the Florida foster system. I, <laughs> is there is there any hope? Yeah, probably not. I mean, the fo- I I had a foster sibling. I've seen firsthand how fucked up that that system makes people, and it's the the thing is nobody wants to adopt a, a kid. They want a baby. Mm-hmm. It's once you reach a certain age, you're in the system for life. You're done. There is no going back because no one's gonna adopt a, a six, seven, eight, nine year old kid. Yes. who has all this baggage and all these options and knows you're not their and real also, parent. She, it's not like Mooney's going to be you know, like, you know, super nice, like make it easy on the parent. You could imagine her acting out. Oh yeah. She has no chill. She's going to she tell them to go fuck chill. themselves. Like she's not, they're not going to be ready for her. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, mm-hmm. I, before we, this podcast gets too freaking long, we haven't even talked about Willem Dafoe's character, bro. Probably the, like we've said, front runner to win an Academy Award Holy cow, is this a great performance and a great part, a great... Sean Baker is so smart in how he writes this part because, in a way, like you said, Mooney doesn't have a dad. A lot of these kids don't have dads. He is almost the dad of this complex. He doesn't own the place. But what's funny to me is that in so many ways, he's not... This is the thing is, it's like there's... We could talk for hours about Willem Dafoe's character or we could not say a single word because at the end of the day, he's just doing his job. That's all he does. He is the manager of that motel. And, and he does it with honor. He, does. he absolutely, he views, he does not at any point think that he has 
a shitty job. He knows that what he, he his job he needs to do it. As I mean, best he may he think can. it's a shitty job, but he knows it's an important job. He knows that this is Absolutely. like the, the, one of the great scenes is when he has to get up at night when they're having that fight, and he's like, "To the other dude, dude, this shit can't happen." And he's like, "What do you want me to do? Like get in the middle?" And he was basically like, "Yes, like that's what I would have mm-hmm. done." Like he doesn't say that, but essentially, you know, he would have. No. For me, for me, the scene where it really gets me is like, aside from the child molester scenes, we already talked about it. It's the scene at Arabian Nights. Oh, I, when he gives them like, the $10? Well, first off, I love that. I, I just, well, I love that every single motel in this area is like a really cheap knockoff of something involved with disney of of course course, because it's that whole focal point and it's that whole idea of it's so close and at at, and literally not even a fraction of what it's actually like um but yeah they're at arabian nights they they originally have a deal because no one's allowed to establish residency in these motels that you have to vacate your premises for 24 hours when that that timeline approaches and there's a special there's a special rate at the arabian nights for people of the magic castle because and that's where it comes in that everyone in this film is just doing what they've got to do to get by they're they've just they've got to they've got to do their mm-hmm. thing and it's 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 a really tough spot to be in can, can we talk about the, and with, can we with talk Willem about Defoe, one scene that i that i do think is we, we could not talk about it, but i want to is the scene with the ice machine do you know what i'm talking about Oh, yes. yeah, with okay. His, with so his we don't son? know anything about Willem Dafoe with his son, where he... except we know he has this son who like lives far away, and we know he has an ex-wife yes. who he hates. And that that scene with him to me oh. is everything about him. That that last scene with the son, because the base son's basically like, "Go fuck yourself. I don't need the money. I don't need to help you. It really f's up my day." And like clearly, Willem Dafoe just wants to spend time with his son. Like he probably could get someone else to do this. Well, so that's the thing is Willem Dafoe wants to spend time with his son, but has no idea how to express those feelings, which is why he calls him in for these odd jobs under the context of like, thank yes. you for the work. You know, I need the help. Here's some money. And and Willem Dafoe's son, in not so many words, just he, he says, I don't need the money. Yes, exactly. I can't He's like, like I don't want to move these fucking like and, and this and then fucked what up my Willem Dafoe say? And this is what makes it great. He's like, all right, well, he says, finish what you started. Boom. And that is his here. entire fucking character. Like, in a lot of films, this scene would have been cut out because it's not integral to the plot. It's not central to anything. But this, to me, is just gives you that, like, shit, this is what we should be. This is what we all should aspire to be. He, you do the fucking job. Absolutely. But the best thing about this particular scene that you didn't even mention is the head of this scene. It's the first conversation. It, that day, the day they're moving the ice machine, is Willem Dafoe's mm-hmm. ex-wife's birthday. It is the birthday of the mother of his son. And his son tells her that he says happy birthday. Willem Dafoe's response, call her on her birthday and tell her I didn't say a damn thing. And that's what gets to me. It's like, and that's where it ties in with your idea that he is the father of the people who live in this motel because I think he realizes that he did not do it right the first time around and while he kind of hates the fact that he has to be the parent and the authority figure to people like Mooney and Scooty and this whole crew and dealing with with literal prostitutes in his motel and drug addicts and all of this stuff is because he feels like it is his his obligation in some way shape or form to take care of these people because he fucked it up the first time because he didn't know how to how to raise and protect someone yeah, the first time I think, around. You know, he, he's not going to go as far as a dad would. He's not going to go into that irrational territory. Like, he's still going to count Haley's money when it comes in, which is one of my favorite moments of him when he's like, just let me count the fucking money. <laughs> like, he's like, I trust you, bitch, but 
But you know they're laughing. He's laughing. It's it's a nice it's a nice moment because Haley pays her rent, and Willem Dafoe is just like you know it, it's the one time where he asks yeah. someone to cut him some slack yes, for doing he... his job. He never nope. asks for a thank you. He never. Here's the big thing is like, and what I love is that they after the child molester scene, they never talk about yeah. it again. Because that's exactly. just another that, day that in the life. Powerful. That's just Other another movies, part that, of Willem Dafoe's job. That would dominate the rest of the film. Like, oh, are you okay, honey? How'd you? But instead, that's just reality. Oh yeah, it'd be yes, fucking exactly. spotlight. It'd be spot- like this is the difference between this movie and Spotlight <laughs> is this movie deals with that issue and doesn't like linger on it and proselytize about it. It just is there, and it's so much more real. All right, we gotta Absolutely. we gotta hustle up. Absolutely, but I just just quick acting notes. Man, Brooklyn Prince is fucking great. Oh my. God. We'll just, we'll just, here's, here's what I want to talk about with that. The one thing I just want to make a blanket statement is like, if Willem Dafoe wasn't in this film, it would still be one of the most phenomenally acted films of the year. But Willem Dafoe being in it puts every single other person on that, yeah, that's on that the set problem. to shame. There's that's just like nobody, the one issue with how good he is. Nobody has he's, the gravitas that he he's does. Better than most, he's better than most professional know, actors. He is. Well, he is. I mean, he's had he's had the career for it. He's been learning. He's and he comes from the theater. That's where he started. He started in experimental avant garde theater, a, and that's a what phenomenal I fucking face love about for film. Him. His face is just perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know you're not a huge fan Definitely of Antichrist, not. but both I and Willem Dafoe love that film. <laughs> it is one of his Shocker. favorite films that he's done. He thinks it is a truly I transcendental experience. I strongly prefer experience. the Boondock Saints, but that's a, that's a different conversation. That's a different. I get it. I get it. I mean, like you don't like penises being sawed off. That's not my favorite thing off, to watch on screen. I do. No, you're correct. Um, but well, but we've all got what gets us off. Like, I mean, this girl is six years old. The the lead, and my God, she's going to be a phenomenal actor mm-hmm. one day. The, the, the last time I've seen someone that's this good at this age is the girl from Little Miss Sunshine, Abigail Breslin. Uh, are we are we not going to talk about uh, uh Ken Javense Wallace? From oh, from true. Beast of the Southern true. Wild. That, I apologize. I'll never good be able point. to pronounce good her point. first name. Or Owen, Owen Klein. Klein. Oh, you're right. There's other Owen good child Klein actors, but she is from the fucking the good. Whale. That's all I'm trying to say here. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Uh, so are phenomenal. all the other kids. I thought Scooty was the weakest, but I thought the girl who played Jancy was really good. Uh, well, Scooty's part is just written weakly. He There's nothing. There was nothing for him to do. That he's he's a yeah, reactive he's just character. Kind of an imprint of Mooney. Yeah, he's nice though. It's right, nice gotta, to have him around. We gotta hustle through this, Mitchell. For sure. Let's 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 take away. Let's stop. Let's stop talking about the script and characters. Final let's shout talk out about the tech. script is we got that, that girl who runs the laundromat in that moment when she hugs her and it's like it's going to be OK. That made oh. me cry in the theater. Well, the funny thing is the re- the thing that I like best about her is that she teaches yeah. the kids Spanish when the kids come in to talk to her the very first time we see her. They talk to her in Spanish, and the only place they would have picked totally. that up is from her. So, like, she also takes her small little role in raising these kids very seriously, and 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 you know, raising the adults too. There's you, you're right. There's that moment where she hugs Haley, and she's like, "Listen, you're gonna figure totally. this out." And whether or not it happens, you know, that's that that ha- that goes beyond the scope of the film, it's and we're friends. never gonna it's just know. Being a but friend, like whether whether she needs to hear she that, roots she for needs people. to fucking hear that. Absolutely, because no one else is going to tell her that she doesn't have anyone no. in her corner anymore, um, and and for it to be that one woman 
it really is. I yeah, I think that's a great note to uh, to end the acting conversation on. Let's let's yeah. move it over to. I'm going to say a couple things, but I tech. want you to talk about this, Mitchell. So I just want to talk about the visuals of this film because the cinematography is amazing. The fucking art design, the the locations they chose with these, you know, the giant orange and the fucking wizards place and the the way the ice cream place looks like it's all so colorful and so saturated and juxtaposed with their disgusting like you know even their their purple house it's all this very flamboyant this flamboyant world that's really actually very gross underneath and i just think everything works to to give that image across but i know you want to talk about focal lengths and i think now would be a good time to talk about that if you're well, just really quick, um, I know I said I'm going to stop talking about the script, but you mentioned the, the painting of the hotel, which I really love, because the first time uh, Willem Dafoe and his son are together, he goes, oh, the purple looks nice. How much did that cost you? $20,000, and yet they don't have enough money to get an exterminator in the, for the, the bed the two broken laundry that are written in this motel. Great... Or the ice machine. He spends $20,000 on a paint job. For, for for extended stay motels, like why are you spending your money in that place? It's just also, a very very interesting character the, beat. But I want to talk about like, focal length. He, she's like, oh, I'll get that fixed next week, and she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, she yeah, she's just like, okay. okay, yeah, no. Um. So, all right, let's talk about focal length because here's the thing, and this is something you might not have noticed. This is something I couldn't stop noticing. Definitely, this, this is, is what, you. this is when I mentioned earlier that it has two of my favorite. Uh, techniques. One of them was using the eyes of a child as the protagonist. But here's the other one. Sean Baker never goes above uh, 20 millimeters on what he shoots this film. And there is one shot. There's one shot in the entire film that is shot on a normal telephoto length lens. Everything else is on a super wide angle. The one close-up shot is when they go to the nice hotel and steal their breakfast. I love that shot. And it's that close-up shot of of Mooney eating and talking about all the food she's eating. But the thing is, and the reason, this is one of my favorite techniques. It's one of the, it's, it's a technique I've used in my filmmaking nowhere near as well as Sean Baker does with this film and the, the reason you can tell is that if you if you take a look if you rewatch the film and you take a look there's never straight horizontal lines everything is a little bent because it's just far enough on the wide spectrum to get that slight fisheye effect and here is why and it's what I've been talking about this whole day is that it is it is to bring you into this world and to never forget that and never let you forget that this is all that exists to these people to you as the audience member this is the world we're in even the close-ups everything is shot on these wide-angle lenses to pull as much of the surroundings in as possible and prove to you that this film exists and these people exist as a product of their surroundings, as a product of the it, world they live in. I also think it helps to give this idea that this world is oversaturated. Like, there's, and we, we, I think we need to talk about the sound design now because this is one of the best sound design films I've ever seen. And I, the use of diegetic sound is constant in this film. There's always music playing. There's always those helicopters thrumming in the background. Even if you don't see where it's coming, there's just always, mm-hmm. there's never silence. This is a loud world. They're next to the highway. They're next to the helipad. There's people arguing. There's people people fighting there's you know yelling there's there's always people up and it, it just this this i almost wish there was no non-diegetic music in this film and i know it starts off with a dope song in the credits and the very end has that powerful violin score and i almost wish that um when you i'm sorry real pause when you say Miss, powerful we'll violin to... score you mean an orchestral rendition of celebration by cool in the gang all right which i, I disagree it, but anyway with. we'll get to that in one second but i i think this, i know you did the, the idea that 
you have to pay for silence. The idea that solitude and quietude and alone time are things that the that the rich get and the poor don't. It's it's something that privileged people I think don't even think about. The idea that it's a privilege mm-hmm. not to be near your neighbor and to get some alone time and some fucking quiet. Like this is something and it's not even just that, you know, it's, it, it then goes into the construction. It's like, oh, is your, you know, like there are people who live on the same block and have a much more well insulated house. You know, they're just a lot more shut off from the sound. But I agree with you where it's, it's that, um, and there's actually, I, I can't remember exactly right now, but there's a really great, uh, Adam ruins everything video that explains how lower economic classes have literally been rejected by things like the suburbs. And there was, um, there was a whole, um, there was a whole like housing policy that was giving huge amounts of money for people to live in the suburbs and it was exclusive it was explicitly uh excluding um you know low income neighborhoods and groups of people and so there's there's it, it, it was almost they were they're, they're they're forcing them into these corners because they know other people won't live totally. there um but i agree it's it's a really really interesting world to exist in where it's just it's it's constant activity and i mean i live in central harlem right now i've got a church across the street i got a park on the corner i got a community center here um there's there's always something hopping someone's always got something to say um but also you feel that it's a community i feel like i'm part of this community i have my people you know on the street that I know I'm going to see when I go out and walk my dog. I know they're going to go say hi to Max. Um, you know, I know a couple of people who like, that's, that's one of the things they look forward to is they love my dog. And you know, they just, they, I, I, I kid you not. I could be, I can be 20 feet up the street and I'll just hear, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Look yeah. at him. Oh, there he is. And then, you know, and Max will freak out. Cause he knows, he knows it's Jody and he knows Jody is going to give him a pet and he'll, he, he starts pulling on the leash because he <laughs> yeah. wants to go say hi to Jody. That's awesome. Well, it's, I, th- I think you make, we create these, we create these yeah, ecosystems make, for ourselves. You make it's, a great it's point very that interesting. you do lose something, you lose privacy, like your neighbors are going to know if you start prostituting Mitch. So keep an eye on that. But you, you do, you do. Oh, well, gain, I already yeah, they're, they're it's just fine. good with it. It's fine. We're you cool You do with gain it. a community and a, and a group of people who watches out for you. And I think that the Willem Dafoe character is the biggest mm-hmm. example of that. Uh, all right. Before we... It really is. You see, you see how much Willem Dafoe is broken at the end when he is completely powerless to deal with these child protective people, and it's it, yeah, he's it, not God. It, he's not God. It, he's he's just he's just a guy. It hurts, and like that's that's that powerful. He's just doing his best. Like he can't do everything, and that's what makes it powerful. All right, Mitchell, we got to talk about this ending because we're we're running long now. I I want you to start. I want okay, you, you to tell me why I did you hate this it. so much? Because I loved the ending. I really loved it. Here's my number one reason. Here's my number one reason why I hated the ending. Never, ever, ever would this happen. I have been to Disney World. There is no fucking way. No, no. There is no way in hell that two kids with no parents and no money are getting inside the gates of Disney. That place is locked down. They confiscate bubble guns. Can I? They confiscate bubble guns. There is no no possible way they're getting in there running around. I think you're you're reading this just in you're you're going into that sequence in the wrong mindset, and I understand why. Because let me let me purport something to you. I I agree with that. That this that that end that last forty five seconds where they're running up towards the Magic Kingdom would never happen. These two little kids, how'd they get in? Who'd they pay? Whatever. I don't care about any of that. Can can we? 
allow this film. This has been a gritty, real, fucking strap you to the fucking ground and make you lick the pavement film. Can we have 45 seconds of dream? Can we have 45 seconds where... Yes, but it can't happen at it Disney It doesn't matter, World but dude, I don't care, I don't care if it's about Number the reality. One? I don't care if, if whether they would have really gotten into it. It's no, a no, metaphor no, 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 no. for them going and okay. just having this one moment where life is horrible, fuck everything, we're in the shadow of Disney, and we're going to fucking go to the Magic Castle. We're going to fucking... No, but you know what? I'm bringing. I'm going to bring up my favorite line in the entire film, and it's a complete throwaway. It's Jancy and Mooney hanging out, and, and Mooney says, do you know why this is my favorite tree? It tipped over and it kept growing. Go back to that tree. Go back to the field where they watch the fireworks. Go go to something. Go to a peaceful, happy place no, that they actually that. know. Because you and I both know these exactly. kids have never They've, been to Disney. hundred percent. You know they they're six years old. They That's, have no idea how to get there. They know how to get there. They live right next to it. They know where Disney World is. They're in the shadow of it. And it's this idea of like the Florida project was the original title of Disney world. This, this, it is this ever growing project. And like you said, like they are the scaffolding there or their families or people like them that support this place. Why can't these kids have that one moment where they go view it and they, they live in the fantasy world, even if that's just in their imagination, maybe they don't really go there, but maybe like, I, I'm just, I don't care about the reality that they wouldn't get into Disney world. I, I like the idea that they might, that even if it's just a metaphor that maybe one day they'll be able to transcend this and as fucking adults come back and take their own kids to fucking Disney world and be like, Oh, remember when I lived over there? Like, I just, I, I don't think we needed like, unlike the help, which we talked about last podcast, I don't think we needed to end on that moment of ripping away. The ripping away is this inevitable like drip that drips down the entire film and i i wanted to end with a little bit of hope for mooney i didn't and, and it wasn't a lot it's not like I, I think things are gonna work out for her but i wanted to know that there's there's a possibility of that idea and i, I why don't you, as a metaphor why don't you okay, think it works I, in an ethereal sense i agree with you in an ethereal sense i understand as a metaphor it works I, i'm not gonna fight you on this it's like the end um, of la la land it's it's one of those things where it's just like it just it felt hasty and it felt wrong, especially because, and, and this is something that, like, you know, whether or not people are interested in this, Sean Baker yeah, did yeah. that illegally. He had no permission whatsoever. They shot that last 45 seconds on an iPhone, which is one of the other reasons why I think it looks like shit, honestly, because it's way overstabilized. It complete, it visually does not fit the tone of That's anything true. else in the film, which is why it 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 feels so off-putting to me and so See, much like I, it doesn't I think, belong. I, I like um, that it switched to a different format, that we went from film to digital. Like, it, it almost... I don't know. To me, it added to it. I understand why you wouldn't like it because the rest of it is so grounded in that reality. Like, we didn't need it. It just feels like it does the film a disservice. It's it's it it feels like the last forty five seconds of the film are from a different film. With honestly, it it like and the, I understand because it's been such a dark, heavy film. Yeah. Why they felt the need to end on some sort of hope or lightness, but it's like you know. I, this it, is the thing. It, it it made me more upset because I know it's not going to end well. I know they're going to get they're going to get kicked out. They're going to they're 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 going to the child protective services is going to find them and they're it's it's all going to go back. This is going to fix saw anything. Disney by the end of this, like I think it was it was important that you see this thing that they're revolving around. Like I, I understand. I don't know if I agree with that. And that's, you know, I, and I don't know if we're ever going to agree on this, but I, and I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation. You have made some salient points that like, I do agree with, but there's something about existing that's in fair. the vacuum I, I like that, too. that I love. 
and that we're always there and we fair. never touch I think that's it. A it's fair you critique. know it's 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 like somebody who's broke as fuck, you know, living in Bedsty, New York City. Like you're you're steps yeah, away so from Wall Street, you're steps away joining... from all the money and power <laughs> in the fucking your, world. Your Bedsty broke guy film is him going to some Wall Street firm. I would be upset. I agree. <laughs> yeah, like you know, oh oh, he he has like a That's... he borrowed a suit from his roommate and he shows up for a right, job interview. You're like, we're bro, talking you about got the a pursuit degree of happiness again, bro. We're ta- we just got back <laughs> to the pursuit of happiness. All right, let's rate this film. I'm I'm gonna just gonna jump right to it. I think this is a ten out of ten. I think this is a masterpiece. This will age extremely well, and then we'll look back on this if this doesn't get nominated for an Oscar and be like, what the fuck happened? Well, I agree. I agree because this is, I mean, Sean Baker has just proven himself to be one of the best and the most honest filmmakers out there. Yes. Um, I can never talk about Sean Baker without talking about Andrea Arnold because I think those are two people who are doing the exact same thing right now and it's exactly what this industry needs. It's it's real stories. It's small stories told beautifully, shot beautifully, non-actors, just, it's, it's showing showing a different yeah, thing of life you know we're, almost, we're we're in, in a world where we're saturated with marvel yeah, like this need, is the change we need, we need. a little this bit of italian of fresh realism we need a little bit of reality we don't need all that you know you can still put willem dafoe in but you need some of that we, we're missing reality in the movies it is all this fantasy stuff so i i i think this movie was a breath of fresh air it reminds me of the kind of movie we needed like we needed moonlight last year and i really hope the academy awards it because this is a non-sexy mm-hmm. film i worry it's too real for the academy I agree with you, but and here's my last, there's my very last note about like why Sean Baker particularly is such a wonderful human being because this is the film that he mm-hmm. actually got a budget for, an actual budget. And I'm not saying it's earth shattering. I'm not saying it's it's anywhere near what a DC or a Marvel or or uh, you know even even like even a, a film course. like Gladiator would have. But it's 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 uh it's enough money to make a real movie. And what did Sean Baker do with it? He stayed true to exactly what he does. He said, all I want is I want one earth-shattering actor. I want to pay him whatever the hell he wants. And I want to shoot this on film. I mean, that's all he did. That's all he changed from his his approach is he just he, he and he's smart. He took one massive set piece and turned it into an entire film. Yes, it's a I, genius I completely move. agree. And I, I think he could have taken that Marvel movie, you know, like we go. I'm going to go see Thor this week and I'm excited to see what Taika Waititi does with it. But I also am saddened we're not going to see his next original like it, it. I do get upset when these, you know, great filmmakers get trapped in these wheels of giant properties and we don't like jj abrams has made basically one original film in his entire career like that's not that's not a good Mm -hmm. thing dude like go you know go make something make the next star wars like make the next star trek he's just not doing it and he's taking those that money and i I respect him for it and i'm sure i would love to fucking work on star wars too but just like (laughs) we're not getting the next star wars though because of this and like i don't know it just it's the Mm -hmm. People like Sean Baker, people like Andrea Arnold, and will definitely do one of her films, or like Joe Swanberg, they give me hope. Like, And I, I, I think when people say there's no young wave of American filmmakers, I, I don't think that's true. So, I think they're, and they're so coming up. Those people don't... I mean, they're, they're saying there's no wave of young filmmakers because they're the not thing. watching their films. Because we're at a point where movie tickets cost $17 a piece, and if you're going to go something, you want to go something with at least... 
some mm-hmm. sort of guarantee, some sort of, you know, saying that your investment will be worth this much money because you'll get this kind of an experience. People are unwilling to take risks and see new things. And that's not just the audience. That's the industry as well. Everyone, that's why reboots go, please are, go take are a risk everywhere. Florida Project. 10 out of 10 for myself and Mitchell. You might cry. You definitely will laugh. And you're going to have a good experience at the movies. It's going to leave you with something that you didn't come in with. So please go see this movie. Mitchell, please. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So Mo, 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 what are we, uh, what are we, what are we, what are we doing next week? Next Let's week let the people know what's, what's the, I've what's next in the docket. Once, which is definitely too few times. It's one of the best movies I think I've ever seen. And I think it's probably Spike Lee's best movie. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. It's it's mm. somewhat old at this point. Mm. It's Manhattan. It's almost become a period piece of Manhattan in the early nineties. Oh, dude, it is absolutely a period piece. It, this is. I mean, we're gonna talk about this later, but all of hipster culture right now starts with do the right thing, and I'm gonna have a very very long point I think to we'll make have to about talk that about next Spike week. Lee's career and what the fuck is happening with him these days? Because he he makes a lot of movies, but man, he has not had a breakthrough hit in a long time. So this is. Yeah, pretty much all I know that he does yeah, now no, is goes to Yeah, no, he definitely does games. that. He goes to Nick's games and he gets that screen time. He gets, <laughs> He's in some commercials, too. He's like the only Knicks well, fan right, left. Guys, this has been a super fun week. I hope we shed some light on the Florida Project. I think this might have been our best one yet, Mitchell, so good on you. You can find me on Twitter at MoProblems, M-O-E Problems. Uh, Mitch, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is is that Mech. Mech is spelled M E T C H, not M I. Episode twenty five. I understand it's we'll a bad joke. It. I should we'll change it. it. Uh, yeah, but that- um, please check out my Indiegogo, guys. If you if you can find it in your heart, we're we're really trying to make something cool happen. I'm sorry to shamelessly producer, plug, but if you're a it's, producer, you know, a studio exec looking for a script, email me, please, please. <laughs> Also, if you're a producer or a studio exact, how the and why fuck did you make did you it this long? This you have better things to do. All respect, right, respect. We'll talk. Honestly, though, maybe you just Same really like the Florida great. project. Please try to get nominated. All right, love you, Mitchell. Good, good mm-hmm. podcast. Love miss you too, Mo. We'll I miss you again. as always. We'll get on a weekly schedule for real. Now we're gonna do it. Absolutely, I apologize, listener. We're gonna. It's it's honestly, it's all been on me. It's I've been I've been on that hustle. I've been trying to pay my good. bills, and it's. I'm sorry, guys. I know, I know. All, all one of you are really pumped to get more of this podcast in your life, and uh, I'm gonna make that a a, a, a bigger great, priority Mitchell. for Have a good myself. Week, dude. Sign, sign us off. Hundred percent, dude. All right, let's go. Real talk.